market rate, £3,000 a day. Were you signing Lionel Messi? This is First Minister's questions. Just once, just once, it would be nice to get a First Minister's answer. For Douglas Ross to stand there and talk about losing grip of a party when he has been leader, the Conservatives have had the longest attempted coup in Scottish political history. The Steamy, a laudable production for the Scotsman. Hello and welcome to The Steamy, the Scotsman's politics podcast. I'm Alistair Grant, the Scotsman's political editor, and I'm joined today, as always, by Rachel Amory, the Scotsman's political correspondent, and live from Westminster, Alexander Brown, the Scotsman's Westminster correspondent. How are we? How are we all? Yeah, very good. I mean, I'm not in Westminster. I'm very much in my uh, flat in Crouch End where it's chucking it down, but that won't ruin the uh, gripping insight I have to offer. <laughs> So I suppose the main thing today from Holyrood is that a resignation that's frankly been months in the making. Michael Matheson has quit as health secretary over the £11,000 data roaming bill racked up on his parliamentary iPad during a family holiday to Morocco. You might remember this scandal from last year when reports of this huge bill first emerged in newspapers. It was initially picked up by taxpayers. However, after outcry, Michael Matheson agreed to reimbursed the Scottish Parliament for the cost. He then gave an emotional statement to Holyrood in mid-November after he's, he discovered that this huge bill had been essentially racked up after his sons watched football by using the parliamentary iPad as a Wi-Fi hotspot. While on that Moroccan holiday, Michael Matheson said he'd only found out about this the, the previous week, the week before he gave that statement, and he kept quiet about it to protect his children a laudable aim, perhaps, many would think. The only problem is that in doing so, he had effectively lied to journalists and, by extension, the Scottish public just a few days before that statement in November last year. I had asked him whether there had been any personal use of this iPad, and he, has, he had said no, despite knowing at that point all about his son's involvement. From that point on, it just seemed like this resignation was only a matter of time. He's now finally quit, just as a probe by the Scottish Parliamentary corporate body was drawing to a close. Rachel, what did you what did you make of this? Yes, it says a very, very long drawn out process. Now, as you said, there is this investigation going on and this the, the report into this investigation is going to be released very, very shortly. But it's quite confusing as to why he's chosen now to leave, because by all accounts, he hasn't seen this report yet. The cabinet hasn't seen this report. Hamza Yusuf, the First Minister, hasn't seen this report. So we don't know what's in this report, but it's somehow or another Michael Matheson's felt now is the time to leave. So it's very confusing as to why, if nothing has changed in terms of what information we know, why the resignation has come now and not back in November when all of this came out. So I think that's one of the things that we're trying to get to the bottom of right now. Michael Madsen wasn't in Hollywood today. Um, when we all got up to the press gallery to watch FMQs, we were all looking over the over the balcony trying to spot him and um, couldn't see him. So he's not been in Hollywood today. And he was due to make a statement this afternoon as well in, in Parliament on something completely different. And again, hasn't been able to do that because he has now resigned from that position. But it's just one of these very strange sort of situations. I mean, where does it now leave the government? Because presumably this report is not going to look particularly good on Michael Matheson or Hamza Youssef, but so far we've been led to believe that no one's actually seen this report. Yeah, I thought it was funny. I mean, we were at the the kind of briefing for the media after First Minister's questions with Hamza Youssef's official spokesman 
And they were putting all this weight on the fact that they had to do this due process, there had to be this parliamentary investigation, and they had to kind of respect that process. But Michael Matson's resigned before that report has actually come out. Which is so confusing. He's not even seen it himself. They say he's not even seen a draft. Hamza Yusuf's not seen a draft. The Scottish government hasn't. So they just seem to be... The timing of this just doesn't make... It doesn't make a huge amount of it sense. It really doesn't. It's, it's the timing thing that's confusing here. But hopefully we'll get this report very soon. We know that the Scottish Parliament corporate body met on Wednesday night, I believe, or Tuesday night, Wednesday night, to discuss this. We don't quite know much of the details of what was discussed, but they have met. The report is, we're told, in the concluding stages. Um, so hopefully very soon we will be getting some more details as to what's actually happened here. But given that Michael Masson has resigned, it's probably not going to be very complimentary of him. And that, of course, leaves a headache for Hamza Youssef because he's now down to government ministers because um, only a couple of days ago, Elena Whissam, the alcohol and drugs policy minister, also resigned, this, but for health reasons, um, she resigned for. So he's got two ministers now to replace. And Alex, from from your your vantage point in in London, in Westminster, a place that's not you know not averse to some kind of scandals and resignations itself, what what do you make of of this? And I suppose the big questions it leaves for Hamza Yusuf. I mean, effectively, this is an issue about his leadership as much as it's about anything else. Yeah, it is about the leadership, but I also think going forward, it raises questions about trust. I mean, if you recall the the Downing Street parties. Uh, which we as a, as a lobby were lied to about by the, the press team, for, by Downing Street, by the government. You know, people in the press team, the Prime Minister, then Prime Minister Boris Johnson, knew about the parties. And we basically had to have an apology from the press secretary saying, you know, we're going to rebuild relations and making up for it. And I know that obviously you've been misled by the former health secretary, but I would be interested to know if it was spinners as well, if, you know, if government figures knew what he knew. Uh, and if so, that raises wider questions about whether it's not just the former health secretary who has been lying, but whether it's the government as a whole. So I, I really don't think him going is the end of it. I mean, when Boris Johnson went, that wasn't the end of, you know, do we still have questions for the government about trust and about transparency? I mean, it, it continued to be a problem uh, bleeding into Liz Truss's premiership. So I, I'd be really interested going forward to see how much damage this does for uh, the first minister because you know it's not it's not just he's misled you it's how how much did he know how much did government officials know and when was this decision decided for him to stand down it, you know has he jumped himself or did, you know has he been pushed that's an interesting point as well because the resignation letter that michael matheson has written at no point in that letter was there an apology and we were trying as well to ask the the government spokespeople what is it that has been the mistake? That's what they've been characterising it as, as a mistake. Uh, so trying to get around this idea that we were lied to. So we were trying to ask, what is it that was the mistake? Was it the telling people that it was a legitimate expense? Was it claiming the expense? Was it the actual act itself of, of um, turning the data roaming on? And that's what we can't really get an answer to right now. And as, as I said, no apology in that letter to, to government, to Hamza Yusuf, to parliament, to public press, anyone. Yeah, I mean, I suppose Michael Matheson would say he made an apology last year, but I think it is notable that there was no apology in that letter. There's also no reasons why he was choosing this time. I think the government today is saying that it was Michael Matheson's decision that he had phoned Hunter Yusuf this morning or there'd been a phone conversation this morning in which he had made clear that he wanted to resign. Hamza Yusuf thought that was the right thing to do. But I think there's just so many 
questions in the back of this, and I think you're, I think you're right. I don't, I don't think it will go away. And I think one of the things to look out for is whether that report by the Scottish Parliamentary Corporate Body contains new information that we weren't aware of. We asked that about the government today, and they were saying, or at least implying that, it, as far as they're concerned, they didn't know of anything that was going to come out in it. But is there anything in that that hasn't been put in the public domain already? Because I think that will further undermine trust that there's more aspects to this story than, than uh, Michael Matheson has previously said. I also think from a Westminster perspective, I know that MPs, I, I mean, I wrote the story at the time, when it first emerged, MPs were desperate, desperate for the First Minister to fire him. They, they could not believe that he hadn't been sacked. It was, you know, a chance to show that the Humza Yusuf is not like Downing Street. He's not like the Tories. If there is any question of misbehaviour, he acts and looks strong. And instead, he clung on to someone who was, you know, damaged the polls repeatedly and has misled people. So the view in Westminster is what is one of contempt and disappointment when the First Minister's got quite a lot to prove anyway. That's a good point, because we know that Hamza Yusuf and Michael Matheson, they are quite close as colleagues. We know that they do sort of work quite closely together as well. And so that question of how different are they then, if that's how sort of those who are trusted by the First Minister are treated, it is an interesting point, that. And there's a, a kind of human cost here. I mean, Michael Matheson has been an MSP since the dawn of devolution, since 1999. He's held multiple ministerial roles and now he risks being remembered as you know that ipad guy that'll be what most people remember him as in the news and i think you know he will probably feel a bit sore about that i think spare a thought for his you know his sons as well who uh probably the most expensive football game they will ever watch in more ways than one maybe one day they'll be able to laugh about it at the family dinner table well i suppose that's the only silver lining it will make a cracking family story in future if they can uh take the kind of emotional sting out of it um, but on that point of politicians being human beings, and from uh, this is a, a seamless, seamless segue into the next section of this podcast, Alex, you have been talking to Scottish MPs about what it's like to be an MP representing a Scottish constituency in Westminster. I think a lot of people, you know, won't fully understand what that job entails, what the challenges are. Obviously, they're hundreds of miles away from home for a vast chunk of the week. And uh, I think people will be interested in what, what that's like. Scottish, Scotland is represented by 59 MPs, obviously, in the House of Commons. I think you've spent the last few days talking to, talking to a couple of them, doing some capital J journalism, getting to the, getting to the really important issues. Can you t- tell us what you found out. So I spoke to Alistair Carmichael, uh, the Liberal Democrat Member of Parliament, and I spoke to Stephen Flynn, the SNP Westminster leader. And I think it's worth saying, in my defence, we'll have a long interview uh, with Stephen Flynn on hard-hitting policy running over the weekend. But I, I do think when people hear about MPs, especially Scottish MPs, you know, they might hear that they are either pro or anti-independence, but they don't really know what they do at Westminster. I mean, what life is actually like. I, I speak to MPs about the travel involved and how they maybe get to spend less than 48 hours at home, uh, which, you know, if you've got family, uh, responsibilities, and also just having your own bed is quite difficult. So I just, I wanted to kind of listen to MPs about what their life is like and then also their home comforts in Parliament. So I think first we're going to hear from as the Carmichael, who I believe will reveal his favourite sandwich. I am now joined by Lib Dem MP As Carmichael. You're a Scottish MP, what's that like? <laughs> 
Well, I think probably the thing that everybody knows about Scottish MPs is you spend a lot of your time travelling. And if you're the MP for Orkney and Shetland, that's doubly true. It's two flights here and two flights back every week. Um, at the end of the day, it's still an enormous privilege, you know. It's bringing you right to the heart of the nation's politics, sometimes right to the heart of global politics. And uh, no two days are ever the same, so you might look at the diary at 9 o'clock in the morning and think, well, that's going to be fairly easy, I'm going to get caught up in the email. By the end of the day, you realise you've spent the whole day in the chamber or in meetings or whatever it's going to be, and you've been nowhere near the desk. The inbox is in an even bigger mess than it was at the start of the day. And I'm sure, obviously, you love it and you're campaigning for the cause you believe in, but are the hours terrible? I mean, you, you miss a lot at home. How many days are you at home a week? Look, this is not a job for somebody who wants the regularity of a nine-to-five existence. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it's not a job, certainly, for somebody who has a spouse who wants you there to cut the grass every Saturday morning. And, uh, you know, yeah... You, you give up a lot. You give up a lot of the things that people take for granted about family life, about being there for school concerts and sports days and the rest of it when your kids are going up. Um, but, you know, that's true also of a lot of other jobs. I find myself leaving Orkney on a Monday morning with people who are maybe working offshore on a two-week-on, two-week-off rotation or maybe working in Central Asia or Africa, you know, doing the same sort of work. So there are all sorts of jobs that take people away from their home these days. And at the end of the day, these things are all manageable. I'm not going to say they don't matter, because sometimes they matter a hell of a lot, especially to the rest of your family, but they're all manageable if you're doing something that you care about and that you think is making a difference. And uh, if you do want to make a difference, this is the place to be doing it. And a lot of Scottish MPs live in, I feel like, the Stockwell, Pimlico, the South London region. Uh, is, that, is that what you do when you're here? My have you got to see any parts of London, like, you know, by being here for so long, have you got to go, oh, you know what, I quite like High Bridlington, I'm going to go there, I've found some spots. Never. You know, my, 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 flat <laughs> know. Is, my flat is in Kennington. I've been a Member of Parliament for, what, 22 and a half years Congratulations. Now. And uh, in all that time, I've had flats in Kennington, which is a... For your listeners, about a 20-25 minute walk from the House of Commons. And I know the streets between the House of Commons and Kennington pretty well. But, you know, uh, well, you came in, you said you lived in Crouch End. I'm sorry, I have no idea where Crouch End is. It sounds like a lovely neighbourhood, I'm, I'm sure it is. But I have no idea. People will say to you, oh, it must be great, you're in London, you can go and see a show in the evening and the rest of it never happens. Have you ever seen a show? Oh yeah, I mean a few times over the years. Yeah. We took my kids to see Chitty Bang Bang and The Lion oh, King nice. when we were here. But actually, first of all, when you're here and you're on in the middle of the week, you don't want to go and sit in a theatre like Johnny No Mates with nobody there. Yeah. Uh, and secondly, you don't always know what time you're going to be free. So if you want to be buying a ticket for a show that starts at 7 o'clock and you're suddenly voting on something that might not actually have a vote till half till seven, so you're not going to be at the theatre till half past or even eight o'clock or later. It just doesn't really work. So no, I tend to find, I come to London to work, so I work, and if I'm working in the evening here, then that means that when I am at home, I've got more time to give to my family and my friends and do, uh, you know, I appreciate the downtime that you get from being at home.
Are, are there any particular comforts of Parliament that you do look forward to? I know that, and our listeners might know, know this, jerk chicken is a huge thing among the Westminster community. Is there a particular a dish or, or, you know, or one of the many Parliament bars or restaurants that you get excited to well, go to? Well, I'll give Friday you a, Friday fish supper. a small bit. Well, I'm never here. I'm rarely I know, here on a Friday, you see. We're missing so fish that, and chips day. So that tends to be something that's produced for the benefit of the lobby and, and the staffers, like all yeah. the good stuff in, in Long Parliament, may they as, rain. It, as it turns out. <laughs> um, one of the, I'll give one piece of inside track, though, and this is something that you won't necessarily know, but there is a small menu that is available all the time in the members' tea room, which includes a steak sandwich, which is a minute steak sandwich on toasted bread, little bit of butter and, and mustard, and that is absolutely to die you for. Get fries with That's it? my it, fries are available. I am told, wow. of course. A, a person like me would would never be seen eating chips. <laughs> they, <laughs> go down, the they go down too quick for that. <laughs> um, like every other role in life. You've always got your go-to comfort food, and for me, that's my... Well, thank you so much for your time. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. And now we'll hear from the SNP Westminster leader, Stephen Flynn. I'm now joined by the uh, SNP Westminster leader, Stephen Flynn. We're Hello. in your lovely office. How are you doing? I am very well. How are you? Yeah, I mean, all the better for being in here. Uh, Hard-hitting question. Are you enjoying being Westminster leader of the SNP? I enjoy the opportunity to to make sure that I'm able to advance the, the arguments that, that we believe in. And, you know, politics can be politics can be a pretty brutal world at points. And, you know, you need to sometimes just take a step back, enjoy the fact that you've, you do have a, a pretty... Uh, important role and the, the benefits that come with that, but also not to necessarily take it too seriously. And you know, I've got I've got a good life outside of politics as well, um, and I'm always grateful for the fact that yeah, I've got an important job. I can go home and spend time with my family and friends without necessarily needing to think about things all the time. You say not taking it too seriously. I've seen some of your colleagues posting TikToks, being like, "Of course, I'm going to you know hold the government to account. I'm an SNP MP." Um, can we expect any <laughs> pithy TikToks from you anytime soon? Um, this is news <laughs> to me. Uh, you can tell I'm not on TikTok. Uh, I'm far too uncool to be on TikTok. Um, I I am willing to do a TikTok video if someone can convince me that it will change the mind of the electorate. Um, and judging by the, the shake of the head I can see from the corner of the room there, <laughs> it's, it's not going to have an impact. So I'll pass, I'll pass. Um, this, this will sound like I'm saying you don't do anything, which obviously is not the case. But like for those who don't know about all the hard work, what is it? What is it like being down here? Obviously, so often as leader, like what is like your, a normal day for you like? Yeah, I mean, like I'm not, I'm not going to get my violin out or whatever. But it's it can be tough. You're away from your family um, for for long periods. Um, I've got very young kids, um, and there is an emotional toll that comes with leaving them. For, for three, four days of the week, because it is usually um, three, four days, sometimes sometimes longer, depending on what the commitments are. But yeah, you're usually in here very early, um, seven, eight o'clock, um, and then you've got meetings all through the day uh, on a whole host of things. And I think the, the variety is the thing that, that, challenges, that challenges you the most. Um, you can be doing a, 
uh, a really intense interview with Nick Robinson on Radio 4 at half past six in the morning uh, and then you're still working all day and you're doing news night at 11 o'clock at night and you know you've got to be in a position where you're you're still uh, in fifth gear throughout all of that and you know across a whole different raft of policy areas and big political debates and that, that's uh, it's, it's not easy um, but it's part and parcel of the job and I enjoy I enjoy the pressure that brings. Do you feel like you have to kind of consume even more news and stuff now that you're a leader as well? Like presumably before you could just have SNP and, fr- and friends who are like, oh, you're also an MP, and now you've got to be like, you said what? Like, is it? I think the thing that I consume the most now that I'm leader is coffee. <laughs> um, <laughs> How many a day do you think you're having? I'm actually trying to cut down. That's why I'm really tired right now because I've gotten into this habit of having at least two coffees a day, and it's making me feel more tired. Um, oh no! So I've uh, yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to go back on the coffee, uh, but nah, being being more serious, yeah, you've got to pay attention. You've got to know everything that's going on. There's that expectation from a lot of folk. You've got to have an opinion on absolutely everything that's happening in life. Which you know sometimes opinions take a wee while to form. Um, but we have such a reactive society and that desire for someone to say on social media what they think about something immediately, which I don't think is help, helpful or conducive to to good public debate or to or to policy. Um, I like to be a little bit more thoughtful about things. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's it's important that you know everything that's that's going on and you're kind of aware of the the biggest issues because invariably at some point you're going to probably get caught off guard uh, about something. Are there, are there any comforts that you like will go back to now that, now that you're here you haven't got much time like I was speaking to uh, <laughs> Asda Carmichael earlier mm-hmm. who told me that when things are getting tough he like in one of the uh, members rooms he likes the, there's a steak sandwich which he uh, which really cheers him up uh, do, what, what is your emotional steak sandwich in Westminster I mean I've had that steak sandwich and Alistair clearly has low expectations if that's, <laughs> if that's what's cheering him up I mean it's nice but like, I'm not sure it's uh, it's going to put a smile on your face. If I'm having a, a challenging day, I'll usually just... Uh, Have another coffee. I usually just go to the gym or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. do you go to the Parliament gym? I do go to the Parliament gym, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and take out my frustrations in the gym. That's probably the best Do you note know the other MPs in there and think, oh, you know, you're... You should be. You shouldn't be here, or like you've got beef with any of them. <laughs> no, no. I actually come on. It's mainly staff, um, like staff for the House of Commons. That is, uh, as opposed to as opposed to, to MP staff here on the gym, and uh, most of them are class, and they're, they're really good fun actually. Cause it's just it's just like going into a gym back home with people who've like got non-political jobs and lots of chat about football and what folk were up to at the weekend and that. It's uh, it's quite nice. It's normal. And in this really mad palace at slash attached buildings, there's not a lot of normality. And uh, I guess in the gym, uh, you feel like you're, you're probably at home uh, more than you do any other thing. And, and I suppose the most hard-hitting question is, uh, are you doing cardio, are you doing free weights? What's the, <laughs> what's the way that you chill out? Yeah, I, I, I like lifting weights. Okay. Um, do, you know, do, you know, do you know what you bench? <laughs> I do. <laughs> Not gonna get into it. Okay, that's Not another, be one of those another guys. politician dodging a question. It's, it's going to be more than my Alice Olives, put it that way. Okay. Uh, on that note, thank you so much for your time. Cheers. <laughs> So having heard from both of them, I mean, obviously, MPs have a fantastically privileged position in some ways, you know, representing uh, their parties in Westminster, playing a role in legislating for the entire country, reasonably well paid when you when you look at society as a whole, but also 
a very difficult job and, and not exactly an easy life. And I think you were getting a kind of glimpse into that from what both Alistair Carmichael and Stephen Flynn were saying. I mean, Stephen Flynn making the point that he's got young children at home and I think it must be quite difficult for him to be so far away for such a chunk of the week. Yeah, and I think it's the case for so many of them. And also there's a kind of a human element of, you know, all of your friends you maybe grew up with are in your, or, or in your home area often. And then you come to London as an MP and you kind of, they basically only socialise with MPs. I mean, lots of, lots of them who talk about how much they dislike Westminster do seem to only spend their time in Westminster. On any given night, you will go to the Terrace, which is one of the many bars in Parliament, and you'll see SNP MPs hanging out with SNP MPs because they don't really do that much off-site. I thought it was interesting uh, that, as Carmichael said, he'd never really gone to a show or seen anything uh, in outside, outside of Kennington, which is a well-connected area in London, but not necessarily a nice one. Though I think it's worth clarifying, I also know other MPs uh, from Scotland who are going out all the time uh, and haven't, and you know, will mention to me off the record about other MPs they might have seen in a club quite late and gone, oh, you know, you wouldn't have thought they'd be out there, would you? So uh, <laughs> it is a balance, I think. And Stephen Flynn obviously talking about his uh, his gym routine in the in the Westminster gym, hitting up the hitting up the gym, pumping some pumping some iron. You can tell I don't really go to the gym so much myself. But um, I mean, a lot of people's views of Westminster is this kind of hermetically sealed world. You know, it's got bars, it's got it's got gyms, it's got all these facilities for MPs. Do you think there's a problem there in the sense that it's kind of it's almost artificial in some ways? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a campus, really. I mean, you know, it's got, it's got the gyms, people stay off-site, often in the same building. I know the couple of Tory MPs who share a flat when they're down here, and they all tend to live in the same area. So it's it's not like a real life. It's not like you're really living in London. You're kind of travelling for work and then staying right by where you work and not really doing anything else. Obviously, MPs hang out at bars, speak to each other. Is there much socialisation between the parties? How, how do they... Because I know in Holyrood, for example... You know, there's only one bar in Holyrood, unlike Westminster, it's not a very big bar either. But there is, is this sense down there that people from all sorts of different parties come together and, you know, talk, they exchange gossip. Is it, I'm assuming it's very much the same kind of culture in Westminster. Yeah, it's a lot. It's very social. Uh, MPs from multiple parties will hang out together. I think maybe there is some sort of uh, hesitance to do that from the SNP at times. And I know that one of the reasons that Ian Blackford was ousted as Westminster leader was there was a view that he was too close to Labour. He was too pally um, with other MPs from other parties. And his defence would be, well, if you want to get anything done through the prism of Westminster, you've got to work with people on committees. You have to you know, work with people who can raise issues and get cross-party support. But there definitely is a, a mingling uh, and, and a, clo- a closeness, uh, which I think outside of Parliament, people dislike. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you saw that as a new yet another pol- uh, political podcast being launched, uh, including Jess Phillips, Ruth Davidson and Beth Rigby, uh, you know, three tough talking women uh, vowing to say it straight, which I think means they just have accents. Uh, but, you know, there is a view that that's a Tory and a Labour person agreeing and sharing a platform, which I think people outside of politics kind of go, is that is that right? I mean, you know, it's it's us against them. That's not how it should be. But in Westminster, that is the case. Everyone hangs around with everyone. That's very interesting. I was down in Westminster, it was about a year ago now, and I was very surprised at just how sort of much of a bubble it really is and how everything happens in the space of just a few sort of 
square metres really and I don't think it's quite as much of a thing up here in Holyrood there's a lot less of that bubble atmosphere I feel there's up a lot here. less of them um, I just don't think there's the same culture in the sense of, okay there is a bar there is a restaurant yeah, I think there actually is a gym but I've never been to it it's where it is I presume <laughs> it's absolutely tiny but uh, there's not the sense that people are I just don't think there's the same culture of people being kind of existing within this relatively small area for like a large portion of the week there certainly historically hasn't been hasn't been tainted with the same idea that there's as much of a drinking culture. I suppose it's also kind of linked to that. There's a darker side to this. I mean, people like Mary Black, for example, have spoken about the toll it's taken on her. She obviously did not enjoy, does not enjoy being an MP in the sense that she doesn't enjoy being in Westminster for a vast portion of the week. And separate to that, we've had all sorts of allegations in the past about things like sexual harassment, uh, other concerns about bullying, about the kind of wider culture. What do you kind of make of, make of that and how much is that linked to the specific culture of Westminster and how much of it is just a large workplace, essentially. So I was, I was thinking about that this week. I had, a, I had a drink with a staffer, a new staffer in Westminster uh, working for an MP. Uh, and I already know the MP. I can you know, get stories from them if I need. But really, they wanted me to meet with their staffer to kind of talk them through what Westminster is like, because for a lot of people, it isn't safe. And I think the, the, one of the key uh, elements of advice I would give to anyone working in Parliament is you cannot make it your life. And for lots of young people who move there, they you know they leave their homes, they come down to London, they're not paid very well. I know people complain about the subsidised canteen, but that's because you know staffers work long hours uh, and don't get paid a lot. And then they're in Westminster from often 8, 7 a.m. And then you know they might go for drinks with staff or with their MP, or they've got to take them to a vote at 10 p.m. So they are there the whole day. And it and it swallows people up. I mean, people go drinking with older MPs or older advisors who try to be their friends uh, or say, you know, give them the idea that they're going to support them and give them career advice. And in reality, there is a somewhat predatory element uh, in Westminster. And I've, you know, I've spoken about my own experiences of MPs saying things to me, uh, but it's, it's not isolated. I've had meetings with a cabinet minister who is trying to crack down on this sort of thing and and deal with sexual harassment in Parliament. Uh, but they showed no real understanding uh, of what causes it. And it's not just alcohol, it's power dynamics. It's, it's people spending all their time in one place. It's MPs being so far from home. I imagine, you know, for Scottish, MP, uh, Scottish MSPs, it's not as far a commute um, to work and back, whereas lots of MPs are hours and hours away from home. They're here five days a week. They work with young staffers who are impressionable and are impressed by the people they're with and horrible dynamics emerge. I know given the lightness of that interview earlier, this is uh, taking somewhat a turn, but that I think that's a really important element of Westminster is people are far away from home and there is a drinking culture. People give each other advice saying, avoid that person. I mean, that's what I do. I have to say, you know, that person, nothing's been proved against him yet, but I know about this person, this person, you have to stay, I would avoid them. Uh, and that is what life is like in Westminster. I mean, it's not, it's not all like that, but I, I think if we're talking about Westminster and we're talking about the distance people travel and the drinking culture, it is a, pro- it is a problem. And I think you're, there are far more harassment issues in Westminster than there are in Holyrood. And that obviously will be for a reason. And I would think distance plays a role. 
Well, thanks very much, Alex. I know you'll be talking to more MPs in the coming weeks and we look forward to hearing what they've got to say. Thanks very much for listening. That's, that's all we've got time for today. Please join us again next week when hopefully we'll be doing a podcast looking at the Scottish Labour Conference, which is happening next weekend. Hopefully chat with Anna Sarwar ahead of that. But until then, thanks very much.